Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow Believers, and welcome back to episode number 13 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron. And now, as we move into the month of June, we see more and more sports coming back. The NBA has announced its plan to return to play at the end of July with the finals taking place sometime in October. And German soccer, the Bundesliga, has been back for a few weeks now. La Liga just started up today again with Real Betis taking on Sevilla. So that's exciting. Soon the Premier League will come back as well. So we'll have some great soccer to look forward to. And on the fight side, of course, the UFC has been going strong for the past few weeks. And boxing saw its return this past Tuesday. Speaking of boxing, we have some huge news that boxing fans found out earlier today with Tyson Fury announcing his next three fights. First, he's going to take on Deontay Wilder for a third time. And then he announced he has a two-fight deal scheduled pending a victory over Deontay Wilder with Anthony Joshua, the biggest British boxing match in history. Two Brit heavyweights going at it for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. One of those two great fighters will hold on to all the belts and once again be undisputed. And I think Tyson Fury has the edge against Deontay Wilder and also against Anthony Joshua because of his supreme boxing skills, his head movement, his slick jabs, and he showed against Deontay Wilder that he can knock out very tough and durable opponents as he absolutely dominated Wilder in their fight back in February. Wilder is obviously going to come in very motivated to put on a better performance than he did in their second fight. So we'll see how their third fight goes. But for now I have Fury winning a third time against Deontay Wilder. And then he announced today he will be fighting Anthony Joshua twice. The biggest British boxing match ever. The two best heavyweights happen to be British. And they'll be fighting each other hopefully. Now Anthony Joshua also has to get past a very tough opponent in Kubrat Pulov. But if both Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua get out of those fights unscathed and are victorious, hopefully we get to see that fight, those two fights, excuse me, coming up in 2021. And then moving on from boxing and back into the UFC, Dana White and the UFC announced Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. And there will be, uh, I believe, four events going on there. The first of those events will be UFC 251. Usman vs. Burns on July 11th, and there will be actually three title fights on that card, so it's a huge card for the UFC. We have the bantamweight title between Jose Aldo and Peter Yan, and then we have the featherweight title at 145 pounds, a rematch between Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway, and then of course at welterweight at 170 pounds we have Kamara Usman taking on Gilbert Burns. 
Burns is coming off a terrific performance against Tyron Woodley. He really made Woodley look like the older fighter as Woodley fought with less energy and less urgency. And Burns was able to take full advantage of his opportunity and now he will be getting rewarded by fighting for the title against Kamara Usman. Like I said previously, coming up on July 11th. So those are some uh, big news in both boxing and the UFC. And also, I didn't mention this earlier, but on August 15th, we are going to get the rubber match between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic for the undisputed heavyweight UFC title. Last time out, Stipe Miocic knocked out Daniel Cormier to retain his title after previously losing to Cormier by knockout in their first fight. So this will be interesting to see how the rubber match goes. And Daniel Cormier said that he would retire following this fight, no matter if he wins or loses. So we'll see if that happens. But for me, Francis Ngannou needs to fight for the heavyweight title. He looked absolutely terrific in his last time out. A 20-second knockout over Jarzinho Rosenstrike. So the winner of Miocic versus Cormier needs to fight Ngannou next because he absolutely deserves another heavyweight title shot. So those are some big fights to look forward to in the UFC. Let me get into some recaps. I'll start with... This past Thursday's fight card of boxing, top-ranked boxing, has returned to Las Vegas. There were actually two fight cards this week. First was on Tuesday, and then the last one, the most recent one, was uh, this past Thursday. In the opening fight on the fight card, we had Adam Lopez taking on Luis Correa, and it was clear that Correa's game plan was to fight on the inside and try to bully his opponent and score points that way, whereas Adam Lopez was clearly wanting to fight on the outside, and he was able to use his jab to keep the aggressive Correa at bay, and he ended up winning the fight by majority decision, but following the fight, Adam Lopez His uh, eyes were actually swelling up quite a lot, and it looked like he did take a little bit of a beating. But nonetheless, he showed his ring IQ in there. He showed that he can box and move quite well. But he also showed that he needs to work on some of his weaknesses, like getting hit less, moving his head more, and not getting into those brawls that Correa loves to get in, where he's on the inside moving around and trying to land those inside punches in a brawling sort of fashion versus Adam Lopez who showed beautiful boxing and ultimately won the fight because of those uh, boxing skills and using that jab to stay on the outside. It was really a great uh, all-action fight, probably the most entertaining fight on the fight card uh, this past Thursday. So, We'll see what happens from here for Adam Lopez, but clearly he has some things to work on to iron out those weaknesses before he can truly fight the elite level competition in boxing. So Lopez ends up getting the majority decision over Louis Correa, a very aggressive come forward fighter. And it was his first fight back since suffering a knockout loss to Oscar Valdez. And Oscar Valdez is a very great fighter in his own right, and we'll see who he fights next. But for Adam Lopez, it's a step in the right direction, and we'll see where he goes from here. And post-fight, he was saying that this was the toughest fight of his career because Corey was just relentless in coming forward, 
and Lopez was actually getting hurt from his hands because he was punching him so much. And that can often happen in boxing when you're hitting your opponent so much, but they tend to have a hard head, and sometimes you can get a hand injury that way because the accumulation of punches can hurt your hand more than it can necessarily hurt your opponent. And now moving on to the main event on that card this past Thursday, we had Jesse Magdaleno taking on Yenefel Vicente, a Dominican fighter against Magdaleno, the American. Magdaleno ended up winning in the 10th round by disqualification because of repeated low blows by Yenefel Vicente. It was really one of the weirder fights that I have watched in this past little while. I'd never really seen a boxing match that ended in a disqualification, and Vicente is probably going to have a really hard time finding another opponent to fight because of the dirty antics he showed. It looked like those low blows were intentional, and the first one that came in the fourth round was followed up by a punch to Magdaleno as he was covering up, and the referee was stepping in, but the punch still landed, and Uh, Vicente was deducted a total of three points just in that round. And over the course of the fight, Magdaleno was actually able to land two knockdowns on the very durable Vicente, who just kept coming forward and was putting Magdaleno in some precarious positions, getting him in the corner. But ultimately, Magdaleno showed he was just too quick for Vicente and would bob and weave to get out of those inside punches or he would hold on to him so he could not fight on the inside. And you could see Vicente was just getting really frustrated because he couldn't land any meaningful shots on Magdaleno and had to resort to very dirty tactics and going low below the belt a total of about five times in the fight. And finally he gets, he gets disqualified in the 10th round. But for Magdaleno, he really should have shown a better performance if he does want to really fight the elite level competition in boxing. While Magdaleno outlanded Vicente and he got two knockdowns off some great check right hooks that were that came in between the punches as Vicente was coming forward therefore adding to the amount of force that could be generated because even though they weren't very big punches the fact that Vicente was coming forward and didn't see them coming made them all the more effective resulting in two knockdowns that added to the points that were taken away from Vicente because of his low blows. But getting back to Magdaleno's performance, he really didn't show me the ring general generalship or the elite ability to get a guy like Vicente out of there. Because if you're a very high-skilled boxer, guys like Vicente shouldn't give you too much trouble. And to me, Magdaleno should have been able to knock him out and show why he's clearly a few steps ahead of Vicente in terms of their skill level. But he didn't show that, and it was a competitive fight. As Vicente, despite his dirty tactics, was able to land maybe one or two powerful shots on Magdaleno. And for me, Magdaleno really should have controlled the ring better, not got in the corner so much. And other champions out there looking at this fight are probably seeing some weaknesses in Magdaleno. And give a lot of credit to Magdaleno for showing up in this fight after losing 
to Isaac Dogbo back in 2018 by 11th round TKO. Since then, he's gone on to beat Rico Romas by unanimous decision in 10 rounds, and then he beat Rafael Rivera by technical decision uh, after 9 rounds. And then in his most recent fight, which was this past Thursday, he beat Yenifel Vicente by disqualification, although he would have won on the judges' scorecards as well, as he was clearly ahead, and Vicente just grew more and more frustrated, which led to his dirty antics and low blows. And I really don't like to see that in boxing. Boxing is already a brutal enough sport without the dirty antics involved like headbutts or low blows or uh, rabbit punches, punches behind the head. We really don't need to be seeing that in boxing. And it'll be interesting to see what um, consequences Yenifel Vicente faces for his action. If he gets fined, if he gets suspended from professional boxing, we'll see what happens. But for Jesse Malk Delano, he showed some weaknesses, some things he still needs to work on if he wants to get to that elite level of competition, fighting the Gary Russell Juniors of the world. But overall, it was another successful night of fights for top-ranked boxing. And now moving on from that fight card, I'm going to move back into Tuesday's fight card, which was headlined by Shakur Stevenson, a 22-year-old former Olympic medalist. And right now, he looks like the best prospect going in all of boxing. And at 22 years old, he's really showing skills that are well beyond his years. Skills that some fighters never learn throughout their careers. Shakur Stevenson seems to have already mastered. And I was really impressed by his performance this past Tuesday. But before that fight, there are some excellent fights on this fight card. Robesi Ramirez versus Uridini Anduhar. Robesi Ramirez won by first round TKO. He looked very impressive in this fight. And Ramirez is actually the last boxer to beat Shakur Stevenson. Now this fight happened in the amateur ranks and they have yet to meet professionally. But Ramirez really put a big statement on and said, you know, maybe one day he could be ready for Shakur Stevenson having beaten him previously in the amateur ranks. For Ramirez, it was a great performance, and he showed great power, able to get Andahu out of there in only one round. And maybe one day they could fight, but for now, Shakur Stevenson looks several steps ahead of Ramirez in terms of where their professional careers are leading to. But Ramirez really did well in that fight and definitely has himself set up for bigger fights in the future. So that was great to see uh, someone that maybe was questioned as how he would do in the professional ranks after being a great amateur. Ramirez is showing that he can adjust to this uh, new professional boxing and continue to improve in the sport as he looks for tougher opponents to face in the future. And then in the next fight, we had Guido Vianello, uh, an Italian heavyweight, taking on Don Hainsworth. Vianello won by first round knockout. 
and he really impressed me. He was the much taller fighter. He looked to be more in shape against the heavy Hainsworth, and uh, he showed his quality very quickly, was able to land a big right hand on the top of the head of the smaller Hainsworth that put him down in the first round. And that was the end of the fight. The Italian heavyweight Vianello is actually a sparring partner for the great Tyson Fury. And he showed himself well in the ring against uh, the outmatched uh, Hainsworth. And really showed that perhaps this Italian heavyweight can do big things in the future. I was really impressed by his fundamentals and how quickly he was able to get an overmatched opponent out of there. And he should be matched up with uh, better heavyweights in the future because it looks like this Italian guy can really go. And I'd love to see him challenged and see if he really is this good or if he just looked this good because Hainsworth res wasn't really a worthy opponent for him. And moving on from that heavyweight fight into another matchup of heavyweights, we had Jared Anderson versus Johnny Langston. Jared Anderson won this fight by third round TKO and Anderson is really an enticing heavyweight prospect. Anderson is an American boxer and he's only 20 years old and he's showing that he has great power. Each of his four professional bouts have ended in knockout and he really needs to have a step up in competition but he's so young at only 20 years old that we don't want to rush things too much. But Anderson showed himself well on a national stage on ESPN in the co-main event. And his opponent Langston was much shorter than him and looked like the smaller fighter in there. It really wasn't a fair matchup. And although Langston was game and able to take some punches, ultimately he couldn't survive till the end of the fight. And Anderson showed great power and great uh, coming forward ability, able to fight on the inside and really show that he's a very rugged fighter. And uh, really, Anderson hasn't really needed to show his boxing skills that much because of the level of opponents that he's faced. But I'd love to see him in there against a more skilled heavyweight boxer to see how good this kid really is and how much he can improve off this great performance against uh, Langston. And the, really the sky's the limit for this kid. He's only 20 years old. He's a very intriguing American heavyweight prospect. And I really loved what I saw from him against a veteran fighter in uh, Langston. So we'll see where he goes from here. But Anderson has a very fan-friendly come forward all action style that I'm sure is going to make him a big star in the years to come and perhaps he could uh, one day rule the heavyweight division but that is years away and for now he remains a very intriguing heavyweight prospect and looks to have the body type and perhaps even the boxing fundamentals to be one of the greats in the division. But uh, I don't want to put too much pressure on this young man. So let's just wait and see. But he put on a great performance in the biggest uh, night of his young career. And then, of course, the co-main event was supposed to have Michaela Meyer, a former Olympic medalist, against Helen Joseph. 
However, that fight was unfortunately taken off the card after Michaela Meyer tested positive for COVID-19. It was later found out that she was no longer infectious or sick, but that her body was still getting rid of the virus, and that's why her test came back positive. But they're saying that for future testing, that they'll look at this example and perhaps uh, in the future, if a fighter tests positive for COVID-19, they won't automatically be disqualified from their fight as Michaela Meyer was. So we'll see if some good can perhaps come of this unfortunate incident for Meyer, who was really wanting to show her skills on a big fight card in the return of boxing uh, this past Tuesday. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for Meyer, and uh, hopefully in the future we get to see her back in the ring and uh, healthy and COVID-free. In the main event on this Tuesday fight card, we had 22-year-old Shakur Stevenson taking on 33-year-old Felix Carabayo, and Stevenson was able to get Carabayo out of there after only six rounds. He was able to land a beautiful left to the body that preceded a right uh, punch that he also landed to the body. And post-fight, Stevenson was saying he was hitting him in the head, but that really didn't seem to be doing much. So he knew that perhaps if he went to the body, he could get Carbio out of there. And it started badly for Carbio as he was put down in the first round by a body shot. And after that, Stevenson really showed excellent and slick boxing skills. He really seems to have his timing down, taking a half step backward to avoid getting hit by Carbio and then landing his own combination punching, really showing that he is one of the most skilled boxers in all of the sport and at only 22 years old. And with boxing skills well ahead of his young age, this kid really has a very bright future ahead of him and the fact that he was able to get Carbio out of there after only six rounds and not only does Stevenson have excellent boxing fundamentals but he also has excellent defense as he really doesn't like to give his opponents too many free shots and he's able to sidestep out of the way just enough to get out of the way of his opponent's punches before dishing out his own punishment and people have compared him to Floyd Mayweather, but what I'm seeing from Stevenson early on is that perhaps offensively he is a pow more powerful puncher than, than Mayweather, but both their defensive instincts are both uh, absolutely exceptional in both Stevenson and Mayweather, and that's where I can see some of the similarities, but by no means should we uh, put that much pressure on Stevenson to live up to the Mayweather name. But uh, the sky's the limit for this kid, and he absolutely showed a dominating performance against Carbio, an older fighter with more experience. But Stevenson showed that he is very much part of the now generation of boxing and is ready to be one of the biggest stars in boxing. And hopefully he can get bigger fights in the future. And the fight that a lot of people are wanting to see and that perhaps could happen in the future would be Stevenson taking on Leo Santa Cruz. Leo Santa Cruz is one of the best volume punchers in all of boxing. A very active fighter when he gets in the ring. He's able to throw a 
a high, high volume of punches. And uh, we'll see how Stevenson would do in there against an offensively talented fighter like Santa Cruz. However, I think Stevenson has the better uh, defensive instincts in there and would probably be able to outland Santa Cruz, even though Santa Cruz is one of the more well-regarded smaller fighters in all of boxing. Perhaps uh, Shakur Stevenson could already be better than him, which is really saying something for uh, Stevenson considering it's still so early on in his professional career. So we'll see if that fight does come to fruition, a Shakur Stevenson versus uh, Leo Santa Cruz matchup, or if Stevenson needs a tune-up fight before uh, that fight does happen. Or perhaps he could take on a Josh Warrington, a British fighter who has uh, shown great skills in the past. He's a very active and elusive fighter as well. And unfortunately for Stevenson, after the Carbio TKO win in the sixth round, he suffered uh, some inflammation to his left hand. However, it was revealed that he didn't have any fractures or a long-term injury to deal with, so that's a relief. But sometimes that can happen in boxing with these uh, 10-ounce gloves and uh, repeatedly hitting your opponent on the top of the head. You know, the head is the hardest part of the human body, and oftentimes uh, boxers can hurt their hands from uh, repeated punches to the head of their opponents. However, uh, Stevenson knew he had to go to the body to get Carbio out of there, and he was able to do that with beautiful boxing skills. And uh, I really want to see more of Stevenson in the future because he looks to be one of the brightest stars and uh, the future of boxing, really. I hope you enjoyed my recaps of uh, this past week's boxing matches, the two top-ranked boxing fight cards on ESPN this past Tuesday and Thursday. It marked a great return to the sport of boxing. And uh, I love to see the combat sports back with uh, the UFC and now also boxing making its return after uh, the corona hiatus. And it looks like that perhaps Las Vegas could be the site of more fight cards in the future as UFC 250 was held from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. And then along with the two fight cards this past Tuesday and Thursday were held from the MGM Grand uh, Conference Center in Las Vegas as well. So we'll see if uh, future fight cards are also booked in Vegas, the fight capital of the world. Now, moving on from boxing and back into the UFC, this past Saturday we had UFC 250 from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, and it was really a good fight card with a lot of entertaining fights. And I hope you were able to tune in to witness the greatness of Amanda Nunes, the greatest women's MMA fighter to ever live. But before I get to that fight, let me start with the opener on this fight card. We had the younger brother of Gilbert Burns, Herbert Burns, getting a win over Evan Dunham via first round rear naked choke. 
Herbert Burns showed great ability on the ground as he was able to lock up the choke on Dunham. And uh, it was a great few weeks of fighting for the Burns family as, of course, Gilbert Burns got the big win over Tyron Woodley. And then his brother followed that up with a big first-round submission win over Evan Dunham. So while Gilbert Burns is already set to fight for the welterweight title against Kamara Usman. It looks like his brother also has some great MMA skills, so we'll see who Herbert Burns gets matched up with next, but it looks like he is uh, quite the skilled MMA fighter, and maybe not to the level of his brother Gilbert, but it looks like both the Burns brothers are great for the UFC, and uh, it's great to have them. Gilbert Burns was actually in the corner of Herbert Burns, coaching him up and uh, leading him to a first-round victory over Evan Dunham. A very impressive submission win for Herbert Burns, and as I said previously, a great few weeks of fighting for the Burns brothers. Moving on from that fight, we had a flyweight matchup. At 125 pounds between Jussier Formiga and Alex Perez, the difference in this fight ended up being the leg strikes as Perez landed 15 of 18 kicks to the legs where Formiga only landed one of one. And it just shows you you can't really take too many leg or shin strikes as your leg starts to swell up. And that's exactly what happened to Formiga as uh, he started getting wobbly on his legs from all the punishment he was taking. And a very impressive performance from Alex Perez at flyweight as he was able to get the first round TKO win over a very formidable and tough opponent in Jussier Formiga, who actually holds a victory over Devinson Figueroa, who most recently uh, beat Joseph Benavides, if you remember that fight. So for Alex Perez, it was a great performance for him at flyweight, and we'll see if he gets matched up with uh, some of the tougher fighters in the 125-pound division because he showed uh, great skills against Formiga, and he deserves a step up in competition in future fights. And for Dana White, I'd love to to see him try to get Demetrius Johnson back in the UFC. Johnson now fights for one championship. They are a fight promotion company, I believe, based in Singapore. And it would be great to see Demetrius Johnson back fighting at 125 pounds in the UFC because I believe he would be the champion once again. And it would be a smart move for Dana White in the UFC to try to get Demetrius Johnson back into the UFC. For my money, he's the best 125-pounder of all time. And I would have loved to see him get a rematch against Henry Cejudo. However, that uh, never happened after Cejudo's historic win over Demetrius Johnson. But since Cejudo retired, at least for now... The 125-pound division is really devoid of any star power, and Demetrius Johnson immediately solves that problem for the UFC. Uh, So we'll see if they can indeed get him back in there. If not, Demetrius Johnson would likely uh, continue to dominate in uh, one championship, the fight promotion he currently 
fights for. Unfortunately, it's not in the UFC, and that's really robbing us fans of more great uh, UFC fights that Demetrius Johnson could take part in. But moving on from the flyweight division and into uh, more fights on the card, we had Cody Stammen taking on Brian Keller. Stammen was fighting with a very heavy heart following uh, the unfortunate death of his younger brother. And uh, he was able to get the victory in this fight. He landed 113 out of 205 total strikes, whereas Keller only landed 64 out of 185 total strikes. And Stamman had 1 minute and 48 seconds of ground control time. And it was really a great performance from Stamman. As he, as I said previously, was fighting under very difficult circumstances following the loss of his brother. And he showed incredible heart and incredible grit to get in there and put on the performance he did against a very tough and uh, very durable veteran in Brian Keller, who is known for his uh, knockout punches as he has eight wins by knockout in his UFC career. And he was coming off a... KO victory over Hunter Azar in the second round, uh, and that was back in uh, May 13th of 2020, and then he followed that up with the unanimous decision loss to Cody Stammen, a very impressive performance for Stammen considering the circumstances, and we'll see who he gets matched up with next. He's not quite an elite fighter, but he's by no means a slouch either. He's right in the midpoint in terms of quality, and uh, I'd love to see him get matched up against a tougher opponent in the future to see how good Stammen really is. And then uh, moving on from that fight, we had Ian Heinisch taking on Gerald Merchart, and Heinisch was able to win by first round TKO after feigning a punch and then landing the big right hand over top that put Mershard down, followed up by some ground and pound, and that quickly spelled the end of the fight. Heinisch landed 22 out of 27 total strikes, while Mershard only landed 3 out of 10 total strikes. This fight didn't really last very long, and Heinisch showed at middleweight at 185 pounds that he's a very dangerous fighter, capable of getting a knockout win at any point and uh, he showed great power and great explosive striking ability in that fight and it was a really impressive performance from Heinisch in what was supposed to be a pretty evenly matched fight between two predominantly grapplers but it ended up being the power of Heinisch that ended the fight very quickly in the first round and it was really a strong uh, night of prelims before we even get to the fights that were on the main card on pay-per-view. Now moving on from that very impressive performance from Ian Heinisch, we had Alex Caceres beat the 20-year-old Chase Hooper by unanimous decision after three rounds. All three judges scored it 30-27 for Caceres. Looking at the uh, final fight stats, we had Caceres landing 109 out of 170 total strikes, where uh, Hooper only landed 60 out of 197 total strikes thrown. So even though Caceres threw less strikes, he landed at a significantly higher percentage, 
and then you look at the ground ground control time Hooper actually did okay on the ground he had two minutes and 56 seconds of ground control time whereas Caceres had two minutes and 31 seconds of uh, ground control time but it was clear that the game plan for Caceres was to outland him on the feet and just outclass the young Hooper and show him uh, that he really has a lot to work on if this uh, 20 year old fighter wants to be a uh, special in the UFC and Caceres did what he needed to do as the veteran fighter. He was very slick in the stand-up exchanges. He was able to punch and not get hit. Uh, he showed very great movement. And that's the type of fighter that Caceres is. He's very unorthodox in his movement. Moving left to right. Moving back and forth. Never really giving his opponent an easy target to hit. And Hooper showed that he still has a lot of things to work on in his fight game in order to improve and really get to the level that he wants to get to. But Hooper is only 20 years old and perhaps an opponent like Caceres was too good for him to face this early on in his career. And he handed uh, Hooper his first professional loss. And for Caceres, he uh, was great and at featherweight and uh, we'll see who he gets matched up with next he's a very active and exciting fighter at 145 pounds at featherweight but Caceres isn't quite at the elite level in terms of that division but he's still a very exciting fighter that puts on great fights and this was no different against the very game Hooper who actually came in as the slight favorite but Caceres the slight underdog quickly put those notions to rest and showed why he is the better stand-up fighter and at this point in their careers he is the better overall uh, striker and uh, on the grappling exchanges both fighters were able to remain competitive but it's clear that Caceres was just a step of ahead of him on the feet and uh, Hooper still has a lot to work on now moving on from that fight let's move into the main card that was on pay-per-view and the first fight on that card was between Eddie Wyland and Sean O'Malley Sean O'Malley was a big favorite coming into this fight and this fight was at bantamweight 135 pounds and Sean O'Malley really showed a lot of skills in there Sean O'Malley is one of the most intriguing bantamweight prospects in the UFC and he stands at 5 foot 11 and O'Malley is only 25 years old so he still has a lot of great years ahead of him and I wouldn't be surprised to see him on one of the fight cards coming up uh, in July on Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. Sean O'Malley just moves differently than most fighters and he showed that against Eddie Wineland as he faked low with a punch and then came over top with a beautiful one-punch knockout right that Wideland did not see coming and it put him down and that was the end of the fight. And it really showed me that O'Malley can generate great power even while standing really straight up and it just shows the great fundamentals he has and how he can get a lot of power into his strikes when the opponent isn't expecting that amount of power as clearly Wideland wasn't and it was really one of the more impressive knockouts that we've seen all year in the UFC and looking at the final uh, fight stats for this fight there really weren't that many strikes thrown 
Wideland only landed four out of seven total strikes, while O'Malley landed 13 out of 20 total strikes. And this fight only lasted a minute and 54 seconds. And uh, O'Malley remains one of the most intriguing prospects in all of the UFC. And at 135 pounds, it looks like he could one day get his title shot in the not-too-distant future if he continues to put on great performances like he did against Eddie Wideland. And he just seems to have that it factor that you're looking for in a fighter. And he just moves very differently, very fluidly, and he said post-fight that he believes he has the best striking in all of the UFC, and judging by his recent performances, that may in fact be true, but we need to see him step up in competition and take on some elite bantamweights to see how good this kid truly really is, but everything he's shown early on in his MMA career has him destined for stardom, and I was really impressed by what he did to a grizzled, very experienced veteran in Eddie Wideland, how he was so easily able to dispose of him with a one-punch knockout. And Wideland is a very durable fighter, and we'd never seen anyone do what O'Malley did to Wideland. We've never seen we've never seen him finish like that so emphatically and so decisively after only one round. And it was a really great performance from O'Malley and one that he needed to have in order to set up bigger fights in the future. And hopefully uh, O'Malley can reach his potential and continue on his ascension because he looks like a very special fighter with very special striking skills. I'm not really too sure how good of a grappler he is. But in terms of striking and in terms of his spatial awareness, he seems keenly aware of the octagon and where he is in relation to his opponent and where he can get his strikes off. And that is something that uh, a lot of great fighters have is uh, they're keenly aware of uh, their spatial awareness. And uh, it's a great quality to have. And it looks like O'Malley has uh, mastered that part of the fight game. Moving on from that very impressive performance from O'Malley, uh, in the next fight we had Neil Magny taking on Anthony Rocco Martin, and Neil Magny ended up winning the fight by unanimous decision as the three judges scored it 29-28 and 30-27, 30-27. And you look at the total strikes landed, Magny landed 82 out of 130 total strikes, while Martin only landed 46 out of 91 strikes. And early on, it looked like Martin might have the upper hand as he was able to use his force and his power to push Magni up against the cage and gain the upper hand. And you look at the control time, Martin had 4 minutes and 44 seconds of control time, while Magni had a minute and 35 seconds of control time. However, in terms of striking, Magni was able to use his reach and height advantages to outland Martin on the feet, and Magni has always had great stamina, and he showed that once again, coming on really strong in the third round after dealing with some challenges in the first and second rounds mainly Martin's strength and ability to push Magni up against the octagon. However, uh, Martin was able to land one takedown 
on Magny while Magny was 0 of 6 on his takedown attempts, but on the feet, Magny proved to be the better striker and his overall stamina was able to get him the win as he was able to finish very strongly in the third round. And for Magny, an older and a grizzled veteran, we'll see where he goes from here. But it was a good performance for him at welterweight at 170 pounds. And Magny isn't quite an elite fighter, but he's definitely a very game opponent for any matchup. And his elite stamina, his long reach, and his overall experience really uh, have proved to help him in his recent performances as he has won his past two fights. And post-fight, he actually called out Michael Chiesa. So we'll see if uh, that fight comes to fruition. But it was another good win for the veteran Magni as he continues his career with a record of uh, 23 and 7 currently. And recently he has lost to Santiago Ponsonibio and Rafael Dos Anjos. However, he did beat Li Jing Lian and most recently beat Anthony Rocco Martin. Both those wins were by unanimous decision. So some good momentum for Neil Magny after suffering a loss coming off two straight wins. We'll see uh, who he gets matched up with next. And a fight against Michael Chiesa would be very competitive. And uh, Chiesa is a great grappler. Not much of a striker. So uh, whoever can really control the where the fight goes would end up winning that fight. Moving on from that fight and into the next fight on the card. We had a bantamweight fight. A really big one as uh, two of the contenders that could possibly fight for the title squared off as we had Aljamain Sterling taking on Corey Sandhagen. And I thought this was going to be a really competitive fight that would possibly go the distance. However, Aljamain Sterling quickly inserted his dominance and was really the most impressive performance that I thought uh, out of all the fights on the card because this was supposed to be a pick'em fight that either fighter could have won and I thought it was going to be a really competitive a back and forth matchup but that's not what happened as Aljamain Sterling got a rear naked choke submission win after only a minute and 28 seconds into the round and uh, he was able to take the back of Sandhagen and lock up a triangle controlling the upper body of Sandhagen and Sandhagen uh, showed no recourse no ability to get out of that position and he was able to fend off the first uh, choke attempt by Aljamain Sterling but then Sterling quickly switched angles and was able to lock out lock up the choke on the uh, opposite side and uh, sh- really showed beautiful wrestling fundamentals and then you look at the punch stats of this uh, very short fight Sterling landed 10 out of 12 total strikes, while Sandhagen landed 1 out of 2 total strikes. Utter dominance by Aljamain Sterling. And then you look at control time, a minute and 13 seconds of control time for Aljamain Sterling. And that's all the time it took for him to lock up the submission and uh, choke Sandhagen out. And say Sandhagen held on for as long as he could. But you could see his body went limp as soon as he tapped and he was unconscious 
for a split second there before he came back to his senses. And for Aljamain Sterling, it's exactly the type of performance he needed after suffering some losses um, earlier on in his career. And there's no doubt that Aljamain Sterling is the number one contender for the bantamweight title after this performance. Of course, Marlon Moraes may have something to say about that. But for now, I would give the next title shot at 135 pounds at bantamweight to Aljamain Sterling. He should definitely be getting the winner of uh, Peter Jan versus Jose Aldo. That fight will be for the undisputed 135-pound UFC bantamweight title. And after Aljamain Sterling's absolutely dominant performance against a very, very quality opponent in Corey Sandhagen, I find that uh, he is definitely the next in line to fight for that title, so hopefully that happens. And this was really the most impressive performance that Aljamain Sterling has had in his career, and he really showed that he's worked on his you know, on his weaknesses, and he appears to be a very skilled grappler, and his striking was also on point as he came out aggressive and was really looking for the win. I thought this was going to be fight of the night, and it was going to be back and forth, but boy was I wrong, and Aljamain Sterling inserted his dominance, and he looks like a real threat at 135 pounds, so we'll see if he does indeed get that next title shot, but it was an absolute stunning performance from him, and for Sanhagen, I still think he is a very quality fighter, maybe have him fight Sean O'Malley and see how that fight goes, as those two bantamweights uh, would put on a very competitive fight. This fight just showed me that there's levels to the game and it uh, proved that Aljamain Sterling is several steps ahead of Sanhagen in terms of his grappling and submission skills. And while Sanhagen is a very skilled striker, he showed that he is prone to getting submitted and maybe doesn't have as great fundamentals as we previously thought. So hopefully Aljamain Sterling does indeed get that next title shot at bantamweight. Now moving on from that fight to the Combe main event, we had another bantamweight fight between Rafael Asuncao and Cody Gombrandt. Cody Gombrandt is the former bantamweight UFC champion after beating Dominic Cruz in a virtuoso performance, the best performance of his career. And since that dominant win over Dominic Cruz in 2016, Garmbrandt has suffered three straight knockout losses, two to TJ Dillashaw, and then most recently to Pedro Munoz. And since then, uh, Garmbrandt has made a change in his training and bringing in some new people in his corner who seem to have him on the right path. And looking at uh, the fight stats for his fight against Asuncao, the co-main event at UFC 250. It really wasn't a fight that featured a lot of action as it was a very cagey affair as both fighters were just trying to feel each other out. Garnbrandt landed 20 of 45 total strikes while Asuncao landed 17 of 52 total strikes and this fight was uh, mainly fought on the feet. And early on in the fight, you could see that Asuncao was having trouble with the speed of Garmbrandt and how he was uh, moving around the octagon. And there really wasn't that many strikes thrown, as you could tell from the fight stats. And this was partly due to the respect that both fighters have 
for each other's power and speed, and that's why it was such a cagey affair with not a lot of strikes thrown, and it wasn't the most exciting fight to watch. However, it did probably feature the knockout of the year in the UFC, with Cody Garbrandt landing an absolute vicious punch. He landed a beautiful right hook as Asunsa was coming in. Asunsa was throwing his own punches, and Garbrandt caught him on the counter right at the bell at the end of the second round. And Garbrandt started the punch from below his knee and came up showing that he could generate tremendous power and got the beautiful one-punch knockout right at the end of the round. And it was a great performance from Garbrandt that he absolutely needed coming off three knockout losses. And for Sun Tzu, he's getting older in the fight game and uh, this might be the end of the road for him. But for Garbrandt, he looks renewed and rejuvenated in the bantamweight division and we'll see where he goes from here. But for now, Garbrandt absolutely landed the knockout of the year in the UFC. A very impressive knockout from Cody Garbrandt. And he showed that he still has the power and explosive striking ability that he showed earlier on in his career. That led him to achieve great stardom and win the bantamweight title from Dominic Cruz. And what this knockout really reminded me of was a fight between Manny Pacquiao and Juan Manuel Marquez, and that was back on December 8, 2012. And if you remember in that fight, Pacquiao was coming forward at the end of the sixth round, and Marquez lands a beautiful punch that puts Pacquiao down, much like a Sunsao went down at the end of the round. And the fact that both of these knockouts came at the end of the rounds really made the finishes to both these fights quite similar to each other and that's what the knockout really reminded me of when I saw it was of when uh, Marquez knocked out Pacquiao at the end of the round. And this just proves to you that you have to keep fighting until the final bell and as a offensive fighter you have to be keenly aware of what the other fighter is going to throw as you come in as both Asuncao and Pacquiao were coming in at the end of the round to try to land a few more punches and they paid for it dearly with Marquez landing a beautiful right punch that came over the top and caught Pacquiao right in the head very similar to the punch that Garbrandt landed at the end of the round on a Sunsau. I just think the parallels between these, those two fights are very intriguing. And it really reminded me of that knockout when I saw Garbrandt uh, get that big win over a Sunsau and reestablish his relevancy in the bantamweight division. So it was a great performance by Garbrandt and uh, we'll see who he gets matched up with next in the UFC. Moving on from that fight, not that great of a fight, but an absolutely epic knockout to end it by Garbrandt. And then in the main event, we had the woman's goat in MMA, Amanda Nunes, defending her featherweight title at 145 pounds for the first time against Felicia Spencer. And looking at the fight stats for this fight, Nunes landed 132 out of 222 total strikes, while 
Spencer only landed 70 out of 161 total strikes. And then you look at the takedown attempts. Nunes landed 6 of 7 of her takedown attempts, while Felicia Spencer was 0 of 7 on her takedown attempts. And then on ground control time, Nunes had 8 minutes and 1 second of ground control time, while Spencer only had 9 seconds of ground control time. So every facet of the fight game, Nunes was dominating. Nunes outlanded Spencer on the feet, beating her up, giving her quite the beating. And then uh, Spencer thought her only way to win the fight would maybe to wrestle Nunes. But Nunes quickly dispelled that notion as she was easily able to take Spencer down and control her with her great fundamentals and her overall strength. And it really isn't fair to put another woman in there against Nunes. That is how dominant this champion has become, this double champion at 135 pounds and at 145 pounds. She's cleaned out both divisions, and it appears that there are no opponents worthy of sharing the octagon with Nunes at this present time. Nunes has already beaten the best in the sport. She's been Valentina Shevchenko twice, Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm. Chris Cyborg. There really isn't that much more for Nunes to prove. She's already considered the GOAT in women's MMA and she's one of the greatest female athletes to ever live and her dominance is utterly inspiring and really shows that there really is no equal for her in MMA right now and the only fight that I could see somewhat being competitive would be a third fight with Valentina Shevchenko. But Shevchenko is built as a smaller fighter, which is why she is currently the champion at 125 pounds. So obviously they would have to meet at bantamweight at 135 pounds. And both fighters, Nunes and Shevchenko, have gone better since their last fight. So I believe it would be competitive. But other than a fight with Shevchenko, I really don't see any other opponents that Nunes would fight in the octagon and the fight would actually be competitive. She absolutely dominated Felicia Spencer, but gives Spencer a lot of credit for being able to take a beating and absorb a lot of punches because nobody throws with the power and the ferocity that Nunes throws in a women's MMA. And then in the grappling exchanges, Nunes' ability to just control Spencer like a ragdoll and uh, throw her around like she wanted to and get top position easily and take her down really whenever she wanted to showed that Nunes is not only a very adept striker, but on the ground, she's going to be very tough to beat as well. It appears that Nunes has no weaknesses in her fight game, and we got to see that over the course of the full five rounds as she was unable to get the knockout win over Spencer because Spencer is incredibly durable and she can really take a punch, but take nothing away from Nunes. She looked absolutely dominant, and it's another performance to cement her legacy as the women's GOAT. And besides a third fight against Valentina Shevchenko, there's been talks of her fighting Clarissa Shields. Clarissa Shields is, of course, a boxer and not currently in the UFC. So you know you're a very dominant fighter 
when you have to pick fighters from other sports like boxing to make it a competitive fight. That just shows you how dominant Nunes is, that you can't even find an opponent in her two weight classes at 135 and 145 pounds, that you have to go searching in other sports like boxing to find special fighters for her to fight against, like a Clarissa Shields, or perhaps in the UFC against Valentina Shevchenko. But for now, it appears that there is no equal to Nunes in the fight game, and that's what makes her so dominant, is that not only is she getting better each time we see her fight, it's that it appears that there is no way to really beat her. She punches so hard, she can throw in head kicks, it appears she can take you down whenever she wants, and Nunes showed that she has great stamina as she kept the pace going against Spencer for the full five rounds and easily won a unanimous decision over the very overmatched Felicia Spencer. And Spencer is not a bad fighter at all. I mean, she absolutely earned this opportunity with her recent wins. And it just shows how dominant Nunes is that she can make a decent fighter like Spencer look so ordinary and so uh, overmatched against Nunes. Right now, I think Nunes is the most dominant athlete in their respective sport, male or female, going in the world right now. You could make the case for Lionel Messi, but it's a team sport, so uh, the dynamics are quite different. But in terms of fighting, I believe she is the most dominant fighter, male or female, going in combat sports right now. Maybe Tyson Fury could also lay claim to that if he takes care of Deontay Wilder and then Anthony Joshua. But for now, I think Nunes holds that title and she doesn't appear to be relinquishing it anytime soon. And I think it's really great for the UFC to have such a dominant champion like this. And she can only grow women's MMA to be even bigger than it is now because she's going to bring in more and more fight fans, both men and women, that will be inspired by her utterly dominant performances. And coming up this Saturday on June 13th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, we have UFC Fight Night I versus Calvillo. Jessica I will be taking on Cynthia Calvillo in the main event, and it will be a flyweight fight at 125 pounds. Jessica I is 33 years old, 5 foot 6, 125 pounds, with a 66 inch reach. Her opponent Calvillo is 32 years old, 5 foot 4, 125 pounds, with a 64 inch reach. And this is basically a pick and fight as I is the slight favorite at minus 115 while Calvillo is the slight underdog at minus 105. I challenged Shevchenko for the flyweight title at 125 pounds but lost to Shevchenko via head kick in the second round. A beautiful kick landed by Shevchenko showing why she is such a special fighter. And then after that loss... I fouled that up with a unanimous decision win over Vivian Arohu. I has a record of 15-7 and seven with uh, one no contest. And she has three wins by knockout, 
1 by submission, and 11 by decision. So you can see that she doesn't have too much knockout power, and she generally can grind out decision wins in order to uh, better her record. Her opponent, Cynthia Calvillo, is 8-1-1 one one with uh, 1 draw, 8 wins, and 1 loss. She has 2 wins by knockout, 3 by submission, and 3 by decision. And Calvillo is coming off a majority to draw against Marina Rodriguez, and that was back in December of 2019. So she's coming off quite the long layoff, and both fighters will be looking to get the win. Marina Rodriguez is actually moving up in weight from 115 pounds at um, straw weight up to 125 pounds at flyweight, while Jessica I is uh, more used to fighting at that weight. So we'll see how the move up in weight for Calvillo affects how uh, the fight will play out. And I think Calvillo will have the edge in grappling as I think she's a very quick fighter on the ground. And neither of these fighters really possess that much knockout power. So most likely I see this fight going the distance. And I'm going to say Cynthia Calvillo wins a decision. Split decision win over Jessica I, as she's going to be able to control most of the action that goes on on the ground, I assume. And I think she'll be able to take Jessica I down because I don't think she has that great of takedown defense. And also on the feet, I don't think either fighter will be able to knock the other one out. So most likely I'm going to say a decision win for Cynthia Calvillo here in the main event of a UFC Fight Night from Las Vegas. So it should be a pretty good main event. So make sure to tune into UFC Fight Night this Saturday. It should be a great night of fights as the UFC continues its return amid this pandemic. While you're waiting out at home, you can still have some fun with our partner, betonline.ag. No NBA, NHL, or MLB, but don't worry. BetOnline still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. NASCAR is back, Madden and NBA 2K simulations, UFC and boxing are back, online casino with poker and blackjack, they're still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Now moving on from my UFC preview and back into boxing. On June 16th from Las Vegas, on ESPN, we have Joshua Greer Jr. taking on Mike Planilla, 10 rounds, a bantamweight fight. I'm not really too familiar with Joshua Greer, but I do hear he, he is quite the talented prospect, so I'm excited to see how he does uh, in a big fight in the main event on ESPN. So I'm going to pick Joshua Greer here to get the win. Probably a knockout win over Mike Planilla. It should be a great uh, coronation for Joshua Greer and get him some much-needed exposure as he appears to be one of the great young prospects in boxing. And then don't forget, on June 18th, we have 
Jose Pedraza taking on Mikel Lespierre, 10 rounds, junior welterweights. That should be another good fight. And I'm expecting Jose Pedraza to get the win. He's a good veteran with a lot of experience. And he should be able to beat Lespierre, who I'm not really too familiar with. So I'm going to have to go with Pedraza here to get the win. Unanimous decision win over Mike Lespierre. And then in the co-main event, we have Gabriel Flores Jr. taking on Jose Ruiz. So don't miss out on those fight cards coming up on June 16th and then again on June 18th as Top Rank continues to fill the calendar with more boxing cards in uh, their return to boxing in the month of June. Then on June 20th, probably the biggest fight out of the three fight cards, we have Emmanuel Navarrete taking on Uriel Lopez and that one is from Mexico City on ESPN+. Plus. As I said, on June 20th, you do not want to miss that fight as Emmanuel Navarrete is one of the best smaller fighters going in boxing. And even though he's quite tall and lengthy for his division, he's able to use those advantages against his smaller opponents and often outland them because of his reach and his height. And I expect that will be the same against Yuria Lopez. So I'm going to pick Navarrete here to win by 7th round. TKO over his opponent. So make sure to tune in to those three fight cards. The first one on June 16th, followed up by one on June 18th, and then on June 20th. So three good boxing cards to look forward to as we get both the UFC and boxing back this month. It's great. And then moving on from that, on uh, June 27th, we have Miguel Burchelt facing an opponent that has yet to be named. Miguel Burchelt is one of the best junior lightweights in the world, a very punishing fighter, and uh, hopefully he gets matched up with a good opponent there. Miguel Burchelt is a very bruising fighter and has been talked about as a possible opponent for Shakur Stevenson. I would love to see that fight because I think it would be competitive and uh it would show that if Stevenson is really ready to take on a very brutal opponent in Burchelt. So for fight fans, there's a lot of great fights to look forward to in the month of June. And then of course in July, do not forget the big fight card that the UFC has going on from Fight Island in Abu Dhabi with three title fights on that card. I'm really looking forward to UFC 251. And then, of course, I'm really looking forward to, as well, the rubber match between Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier coming up in August. And then we got the big news of Tyson Fury announcing his next three potential opponents as Deontay Wilder and then Anthony Joshua twice. So some big news in uh, the fight world that we have for us fans. And then also, Conor McGregor retired again. I don't know if this retirement is necessarily going to stick, just like I don't know if Henry Cejudo will stay retired, but we'll see what happens. And hopefully they can work out things with Jorge Masvidal and uh, have him fight again in the UFC because he's become a very popular fighter, and I'd definitely love to see Masvidal 
and I would have loved to see Masvidal get the next crack at the welterweight title against Kamara Usman. However, that goes to Gilbert Burns, but Jorge Masvidal definitely deserves consideration, so we'll see who he fights next. But uh, for fight fans, there's a lot of great fights to look forward to. So make sure to tune into the UFC fight card this weekend and then the upcoming boxing matches that will uh, follow that fight card. Thank you so much for listening to episode number 13 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron. No justice, no peace. Kobe forever, Mamba forever. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy your weekend and enjoy the fights. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.